Uh, we've just finished up James last week, and uh, we're going to talk about Psalm 37, which is one of my favorite psalms. We're not going to go all the way through it because there's 40 verses, and that would kind of take a while to talk all the way through it. But this is a beautiful psalm, and we're going to start here, verses 1 and 2. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Today is Pentecost Sunday, as Pastor Mark was subtly referring to. I see what you did there. Well done. Pentecost Sunday. You know, in, in many more uh, uh, formal church settings, people wear red on Pentecost Sunday, hence my maroon shirt. <laughs> I, uh, 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 you, you know, uh, Pentecost Sunday is, is commemorating the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, and that was like the beginning of God's church. And, uh, you know, right before then, Jesus had told his disciples, he gave them some instructions on how this was going to, how this is going to work. And it was, it was kind of a bummer of a time for them, because yes, he had risen from the dead, but now he was leaving. So that's great. Oh, you're back. You're with us. We'll be with you forever. No, actually, I'm, I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore. It's a bummer of a time, but he gave them instructions. He said, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In other words, wait. <sighs> How many of you love waiting? It's the best, isn't it? <laughs> Go somewhere and wait, and you're not going to see anything. You're going to just Wait. Waiting is hard. I feel like we're all collectively Inigo Montoya, right? We hate waiting. We hate waiting. I, I, and I don't, know, I don't know if it was harder for them or harder for us. We today have a real problem with this, with this issue. We, we, waiting makes us angsty. Waiting makes us do what Psalm 37 starts with. It makes us fret. We fret. What is fretting? <laughs> do not fret. Isn't that a good old frumpy term? It's great. I love it. Do, do not fret. Fretting means do not, do not be kindled. <laughs> do not be angry. Do not be vexed. Don't freak out, the psalmist says. Hey, don't freak out. Or as George Costanza might say, let's just stay calm, everybody. <laughs> Waiting makes us fret, especially right now, because we are consumed by the now. We are consumed by whatever happens to be happening right now. The news of the day is everything. Oh, you guys, I was, I was pondering this, as Mark would say. That's Mark's word, pondering. I was pondering this recently, how the, the issues of today get so big that they blind us to the reality that there's anything else or that there's any other time. Like we have no history. We have no future. All that exists is right now. And that puts all kinds of pressure on anything we happen to be seeing in the news or coming across our social media. Like this is everything. Now I grew up in the 80s and 90s and, and uh, so that means I grew up when the Left Behind series was, was blowing up. I, I did not read the Left Behind series because I have a stubborn streak in me. 
I refuse to read that. I refuse to watch Titanic. Never, never seen it. Kind of proud of it. Never read the Left Behind series. And I, but, but there was this rush and this fascination and almost an obsession with the end of the world. And I started thinking about this. I'm like, you know, throughout my lifetime, there's been a lot of end of the worlds. <laughs> Ends of the world. For example, I started thinking about all the different antichrists. Oh, the antichrists we've seen. It could be a Dr. Seuss book. For example, the earliest one I remember was Mikhail Gorbachev. Ah, antichrist. Then there was Bill Clinton. Southern antichrist. Pope John Paul II. That was a, I, every once in a while you get a really vicious anti-Catholic movement. And the antichrist, I mean, Pope John Paul II, come on. Then there was Barack Obama, <laughs> Steve Jobs, a very inventive antichrist, very creative, maybe the most creative of all the antichrists that I've ever seen. <laughs> it was Donald Trump. The most recent antichrist is Bill Gates. So congratulations. I wonder if the, the, the Mac people are taking revenge now by saying, because after they got Steve Jobs as the antichrist, they said, oh no, you know who is? Bill Gates. We've had a lot of antichrists. We've had more than that, though. We've had marks of the beast. There have been so many marks of the beast in my day. It's actually kind of fun. Anything can be the mark of the beast. Um, credit cards. Mark of the beast. Dave Ramsey might almost agree with that, but forget it. That was a joke. Oh. Supermarket scanners. Marks of the beast. Tattoos. iPhones. Vaccines. Friendship bracelets. Oh, maybe not that. So many marks of the beast, though. Any new thing that comes along, oh, that's the mark of the beast. See, because we're in the end of the world, because that's happening right now in this news cycle. This must be, boom. Now, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. But it's probably not the mark of the beast. But we've had more than that. We've also had many Armageddons. Oh, the Armageddons we have lived through. There was the Bruce Willis movie. There was the Cold War. The Cold War was Armageddon, right? There was the, the, the Gulf War in the early 90s. There was the Iraq War in the early 2000s. Oh, this is one that I had initially forgotten about, and somebody, somebody added this one. Y2K. You remember how Y2K was going to usher in Armageddon? I won't ask who stored up a bunch of stuff, because a lot of us probably did. Y2K, because everything was going to change. The lights were going to go out, and boom, that was going to usher in Armageddon. I remember being in a Christian bookstore, like in early January of 2000, and they were, they were putting away on this, this, this cart all of the prophecy books about Y2K. Because the lights were still on and everything was fine. It didn't happen. Like, we're just going to you know, sell these for 50 cents if anyone's interested. It was embarrassing. There is an obsession with the end of the world that has, has just not been good. But I really think the reason is we, we are obsessed with what's happening right now. And so we tumble down the mountain of hyperbole and it gets ridiculous. And we forget that history is long, you guys. It's big. And everything we see feels like it's the worst ever. It's never been this bad. That guy over there, he's the meanest ever. That basketball player is the best ever. 
everything is the best or the worst ever. And I think it would probably benefit us all to take a deep breath. And remember, we live in a world with a lot of scary things. We live in a world with a lot of division. But friends, the church of Jesus Christ has withstood far, far worse stuff than anything we're ever seeing in our lifetime. The church of Jesus Christ is currently withstanding far, far worse things than any of us are experiencing. In fact, there are millions of believers worldwide that would give anything to trade places with us. So, I want to tell you, along with the psalmist, to fret not, my friends. Fret not. You'd say, but what about all the wicked, you know, when the wicked thrive? That's the, that's the scenario. He's what about when bad things are happening, when, when bad people are successful and their plans are successful and we are seeing some really hard things? Yes, yes, I know, I know. But look at the way Eugene Peterson translates verses 1 and 2 in the message. He says this, don't bother your head with braggarts. That's good. Or wish you could succeed like the wicked. In no time, they'll shrivel like grass clippings. Isn't that good? (laughs) And wilt like cut flowers in the sun. Why shouldn't we fret? Because evil will not outlast us, you guys. The church has existed, the church of Jesus Christ has existed for 2,000 years. It was born when the Holy Spirit fell. 2,000 years. And God has been good for a lot longer than that. We have Jesus, the one who spoke the universe into existence, interceding on our behalf. So fret not. Fret not, my friends. Instead... Let's go to verses three and four. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Another version says cultivate faithfulness. I I actually like that a little bit better. It's sort of gardening imagery. There's lots of like farming imagery in the psalm. There's lots of references to the earth. It's it's a dusty psalm. And and, and here we see sowing and reaping, delighting in him. Commit your way to him and you will produce something. It, it It will produce something. God will give you something in exchange. He will act on your behalf. Now, I don't think he's in any way implying that God will give you whatever you want. I have a lot of whims. Sometimes I don't know what I want until I see an advertisement, and then I realize, oh my goodness, I need that. I better go delight myself in God for a while so I get that. It doesn't actually work that way. God's not like, okay, I'm going to sanction hedonism if you spend a little time with me. That's, that's not what we're doing. Something different. I, I think it's this. I, I think it's when we delight ourselves in him, he transforms us and he even transforms our very desires. He changes us. 
So, so how does that happen? That's the question. How do we go from fretting to delighting in him? Well, I think it's going to involve our focus, first of all. The things we're meditating on. Let me ask you, what is currently getting your attention? What is consuming your attention? Is it the news cycle? Is it something else? In Paul's letter to the Philippians, it, it's a gushing letter. It's it, it, probably my, my favorite book of the Bible. It's, it's beautiful. He's, he's speaking to these people who have seen him go through an incredible difficult, incredibly difficult time and it stood with him. And it's a church he planted and people he loves dearly. So he's in jail, but he's, he's writing them this letter of encouragement. And it's beautiful. And it's just like so much of this you could just write on greeting cards and send to your friends. And you could all be uplifted together, which is why they're just on so many greeting cards. It's, it's beautiful. But right in the middle of it, he stops, interrupts himself, and addresses... A, a bit of tension that's going on. And we don't have the details of this tension, except that we know there were two prominent women in the church that were uh, uh, in some strong disagreement. Their names were Eudodia, or <laughs> Euodia and Syntyche. I know some of you guys are looking to have a baby soon. I want to commend those two names to you. Euodia and Syntyche. Syntyche. I don't know. All right. And he says, he, he addresses these two women. Now, now these women, uh, uh, they were evidently leaders, okay? They were leaders. Paul calls them his fellow laborers. So we're not talking about some little sideline dispute. We're talking about two influential people here. And it must have been such a big deal, whatever it was that, that they were uh, uh, having strife over, it was such a big deal that, that somebody ratted them out to Paul. <laughs> they, they send a letter to Paul. They're like, here's what's going on. Everything's great, but please, please, can you step in? Because Euodia and Syntyche are so mad at each other, and everybody's walking on eggshells because, dude, this is, we don't know what to do. It's hard. Help us. So Paul, in the middle of the letter, Responds. And here's what he says. Uh, we're going to read out of the message here. Um, in uh, verse 2 of uh, Philippians 4, he says, I urge you, Odie and Syntyche, to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. So he doesn't even speak to the specifics of what the argument is. He just tells them to work it out, and this is the way of Jesus. He doesn't want you holding grudges. And then he addresses somebody else. And oh yes, Sisychus, since you're right there to help them make things, uh, work things out, do your best with them. These women worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with other veterans, worked as hard as any of us. Remember, their names are also in the book of life. So let's work towards reconciliation here because this probably uh, absorbed a lot of attention and a lot of concern. Now watch, he's gonna pivot. And I think it's because people's attention were probably on them a lot. These two leaders, people don't like it when leaders are not in unity. God doesn't like it when leaders aren't in unity either. 
and it gets very tricky, and it makes a lot of people concerned. And we are in an age of real disunity. And you guys know this year's been a year of like, uh, talking and just... Had a conversation with a friend this week who was asking to remind the people that disunity is a spirit. We need to pray against that. Is that a good word? Remember that. Disunity is a... We, we, can, we can pray against that thing and say, Lord... No, we don't want that here. I remember one time when Joshua and I, Joshua and I are very, very different for those of you guys who don't know us very well. I know, shocking. There was one time when Joshua and I were having an argue, a theological argument. I, I have no idea what it was about. It was a long time ago. It was in his office. And our voices started raising, and we probably for like two hours were just like going back and forth, back and forth. Janelle afterwards, Pastor Janelle comes out after we come out, and her eyes are big. She's like, guys, please never do that to me again. We're like, what? She goes, I was having a meeting with a copier salesman right next door as you're, and we're like, Sorry. People, that, that sort of tension, right? Anyway, that's just a dumb story. Um, so we have not ever had an argument when there's a copier salesman in the building again. We have learned that lesson. Aren't you proud of us? It's really good. <laughs> Paul, he, he's going to tell them how to refocus here. Um, he says, uh, 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 celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to thrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, even, even just bring back that scenario. Maybe a lot of them were worried or fretting about this situation and their leaders not being in accord. Don't fret or worry. Instead, pray. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Whoa, isn't that good? Oh, let's read that one again. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble and reputable and authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into the most excellent harmonies. Where is your attention, friends? Where is your gaze? Where is your focus? Where are your eyes and ears being drawn to? Check your inputs. Are they glued to the problems? Are they glued to the strife? Are they glued to the anger and the debates? Are they glued to the successes and failures of leaders? Are they glued to cable news and all the things we need to be afraid of? Think on other things, Paul says. 
He's not saying avoid the problems. We all see the problems already. They're all over. But where are you meditating? Where are you letting your heart rest? Think on these things, the noble, the reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious things. Let Christ displace the worry at the center of your life. Start with the words of Scripture. I'm convicted to think of how many times this last year I have let the concerns of the day and all of the debate take a place in my heart ahead of God's Scripture. I am convicted about that. Because all of those things are temporal. And God's word stands for a long, long time, a little bit longer than the 24-hour news cycle. Fret not, friends, and delight yourself in the Lord. The third thing now, back to Psalm 37, verse 7. He says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I was reading uh, from a book this week called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And the author, Alan Kreider, uh, is a, a, a scholar, an early church scholar. And he was talking about the church in the second century in the Roman Empire. And he pointed out something I thought was totally fascinating. He, he said in the second century, the church had zero emphasis on outreach. Uh, this wasn't prescriptive. He wasn't saying this is what we should do. It's just in all his writings, even when you saw the, the Great Commission referenced, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't referenced in the sense of missions or going out or evangelizing or anything. It was, they would reference it when they were talking about the Trinity because you're baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Very little emphasis on outreach. In fact, even church services were generally only open to those who had been baptized. And yet, the church grew at an exponential rate. It grew so fast and so, uh, it, it, so thoroughly that one, one uh, uh, scholar suggests it might have been growing at a rate of 40% every single decade. Can you imagine? Every single decade. So how? If they didn't have outreach programs of how, what were they, what, what was drawing people in? And it was simply this. People held on to what they saw in Jesus. And their lives were transformed by his virtues. And she, so, so they, they took virtue very, very seriously. What does our life look like? A life that inspires questions, a life that inspires people coming to them. And you know, it, maybe the chief of all virtues was patience. Patience. Does that surprise you? It surprised me. But here's, here's, uh, uh, here's why. They, they saw such patience in, in the character of Christ. And they saw it in the way that God dealt with his people throughout the centuries. And they thought in order to become more like him, in order to see his kingdom come in the midst of a hostile empire that hated them and had all kinds of religious persecution, they had to trust in Christ and wait for him to accomplish his purposes through them. In other words, they refused to overreact. Patience, says Tertullian, the, the early church father. Patience outfits faith, guides peace, assists love, equips humility, 
keeps the flesh in check, preserves the spirit, bridles the tongue, restrains the hands, tramples temptation underfoot, removes what causes us to stumble. When God's spirit descends, patience is always at his side. And he said a lot more than that. I trimmed that quote down. Patience does a lot more than what's listed here. When God's spirit descends, patience is always at his side. Friends, today is Pentecost Sunday when we remember God's spirit descended. And his spirit is still at work today and patience is still at his side. And it must be at our side too. Hear me. God is doing things that you can't see. Isn't that exciting? God is doing things that I can't see. I love the song, Waymaker, and that that little bridge. Even when you don't see it, we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Come on with me. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Isn't that good? Friends, let that sink in because sometimes I get too big for my britches and I look around and say, I don't see him working. Well, guess what? I'm human. He's working. He's doing all kinds of things that I cannot see because I live in a tiny sliver of time and I have a tiny, tiny, tiny perspective. I only see what these eyes see. I only hear what these ears hear. And even if I could see a lot more, do you know the problem? A, a, a farmer can only see what's coming up out of the ground. He can't see all of the things underneath it. And this, in this psalm, God is calling us to be farmers and to trust his work. Trust that that sun is going to come up. Trust the light is beating down on the field. Trust that he's going to send the rain. Don't freak out when you hear the rain. Don't freak out when the storm comes because that is part of his growth. That's part of what he's doing. I know there's storms, but you can't pray away the rain every time. We need the rain, friends. We need the rain. All of these things are part of God's long work in his church. And I want us, I want us to embrace it and to know that it's okay to know that he's bigger than the 24-hour news cycle. We need to fret not. We need to delight in him and then to wait on him, to wait patiently. There's a wonderful bit of a book by John Mark Comer that I read last year. I want to read this to you. He's talking about his mentor calling up Dallas Willard. You guys know who Dallas Willard is. He's one of the great voices in the church in the last 50 years a uh, brilliant man of God who died some years ago, but had this legendary wisdom and would mentor all these leaders. So here's this man, John, calling Dallas Willard. So he calls up Willard and he asks, Mr. Willard, Dallas, I don't know what he called him, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? And this man was a pastor of a, uh, was a, pastor of a megachurch, already in a significant leadership position and wanting some insight. So he asked that question. There was a long silence on the end of the line. According to John, he says, with Willard, there's always a long silence on the other end of the line. 
And then he said this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Can we just stop a minute and agree that's brilliant? Thanks. John then scribbles that line down in his journal. Sadly, this was before Twitter. Otherwise, that would have broken the internet. Then he asks, okay, okay, what else? What else, Dallas? What else can you tell me? There was another long silence, and Willard said this. There's nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. End of story. This book, by the way, is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I strongly recommend it to you. It's wonderful. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. God is not in a rush. I don't know if you've noticed that. (laughs) We are waiting on him for many things. And he knows. Yeah. It's okay. He's working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. In fact, he never stops. He never stops working. The poet Wendell Berry wrote a poem some decades back. And uh, we kind of embraced it as a pastoral staff this year. We embraced this phrase. You know what the phrase is? Plant sequoias. Plant sequoias. How many of you guys have ever been in the redwood sequoias? Northern California. Magnificent, magnificent forests. We lived there for a one. For, for a while uh, in the Redwoods, and, and we went to one, this massive legendary tree right on the Leggett Pass on, on Highway 101. And there's a park that's all surrounding this tree, and you can drive through it, you know, underneath it. And, you can, and, and I was looking at this tree, and we just kind of kept backing up, you know. And you keep backing up to be able to see the top. And you just keep backing up. And it just goes up and up and up. You're like, good grief. How old is this tree? you know how old the tree was? 2,000 years. The tree's been around since Jesus walked the earth. 2,000 years. And Wendell Berry says that this should be our work as the people of God, to plant sequoias. Not to plant flowers or weeds that shoot up in a day and die, but to plant sequoias, to think generationally and to have the patience of Christ. He says, plant sequoias, say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Our main crop is the forest we didn't plant, and we won't even live to harvest, because the kingdom of God is big, and it's going to go on and on. The kingdom of our Lord will go on and on and on, and we have the honor of taking part in it. We're not the center of it, he is. But we have the honor of taking part in it and we have the honor of remembering that even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. He never stops. He never stops working. Do not fret, my friends. Delight yourself in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Elders, you wanna come forward? Everyone else, let's stand up and pray. Anybody need this this morning to stop fretting? Who needs to stop fretting this morning? Just raise your hand, okay, good. Keep your hands up. I'm gonna put my hand up too because I need to stop fretting over people fretting. That's what I fret over. 
I, seriously, that is what I fret over. So many people are upset, and, and, I, wanna, and I fret over that. So keep your hand up, Lord, and put your hand on your heart. Do that thing. Lord, we need you to help us stop fretting. So, Lord, help us to delight in you, the God who never stops working, and the God who is doing things we cannot see. So I pray that you would push fear far from us, push anger far from us, push suspicion far from us, push rage far from us, and help us to take a deep breath. Let's just take a deep breath together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May we delight in you, and and, and may we embrace the patience of Jesus and truly believe that you are working. And God's people said... Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, please come. We're going to pray for you because he's going to work.